You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Thief. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today and it's good to have your company. Robberies, especially spectacular ones, are newsworthy events. Although thieves are everywhere waiting to take advantage of people to get their money or property. And I'm fairly certain that you've been the target of scammers, who essentially are thieves, posing as genuine buyers or even perhaps representatives of legitimate companies. Many people have heard of the great train robbery, a heist in England, but that particular robbery pales into insignificance when compared to some of the world's great robberies. I want to share about three of the greatest robberies the world has ever seen. The first one was committed by the German Reich, during the Second World War. When the Germans invaded and conquered other countries, they first stole livestock, which was killed to provide food for their armies. Then, from the millions of Jews who were killed in the Holocaust, anything of value was taken, including clothing, hair, jewellery, and even gold fillings in teeth. Most of the gold was melted down and used as currency, to buy materials for war equipment from other countries. But of even greater importance were the fine paintings and furniture taken from private homes, galleries and museums. Most of this was whisked away and hidden, and most of it is still unaccounted for. The value of goods stolen by the Germans during World War II probably amounts to hundreds of billions of dollars. The second great world-scale robbery was committed over a long period of time under the authority of the Roman Church. If you've read anything of world history about the times of the Dark and Middle Ages, you would be aware of the Inquisition, which basically was an army of religious terrorists authorised by the Roman Church who went throughout Europe in an endeavour to wipe out Protestants and anyone else who would not accept the authority of the Roman Church. It is estimated that during this time somewhere from 50 to 150 million Protestants were killed and all their property confiscated. The value of the lands, houses, money and possessions stolen is hard to estimate, but it must also amount to hundreds of billions of dollars. Well, the third great robbery occurred in relatively recent times during the Gulf War between the United States of America and its allies against Iraq. A large amount of money as cash in US dollars was flown into Iraq, earmarked for Iraq reconstruction. 
as pay for state employees to keep operations of the country running smoothly and pay contractors. Of the $12 billion shipped to Iraq, the missing money amounted to $6.6 billion. Now we're talking about truckloads of cash money. According to the CBS News, the Inspector General for Iraq, Stuart Bowen, said the missing cash may be the largest theft of funds in national history. It's thought that some of this $6.6 billion may have ended up in Lebanon. So, is there anything wrong with stealing? Yes, it's sin. In civil law, stealing is a criminal offence. The Eighth of the Ten Commandments says simply, You shall not steal. That's from Exodus 20, verse 15. Now, you've probably heard me say in the past that there are Protestant believers who declare that the moral law of the Ten Commandments was abolished at the cross. You know, that is so ridiculous, especially when there are plenty of New Testament verses to show the opposite. That is, that the moral law continues as always, because by it, sin is identified. In the epistle of James, James points out this, Whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles on one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. That's from James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. James gave two examples, but could have easily given any of the eight others, such as do not steal and do not covet. The reason those who believe that the law is abolished at Calvary is because they want to remove their obligation to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Ask them this, is it okay to steal? And they'd straight away reply, no, it's wrong to steal. What they do, therefore, is to believe or accept that one part of the law no longer applies, but the rest remains intact. And that is strange, deceptive and warped theology. They would do well to consider what is said in Deuteronomy 4.2, where God himself pronounced, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. At the end of the Bible is a similar injunction with a dire warning. It's from Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, and says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city 
which are described in this book. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44, Jesus was instructing his disciples about his second coming, and here's what he said. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And I think the coronavirus pandemic that has swept through the world might be a wake-up call to prepare people for Jesus' return. And there are four points I'd like to consider regarding this. Number one, the coronavirus came unexpectedly. Number two, the coronavirus came quickly. Number three, the coronavirus had and still has worldwide ramifications. And number four, the coronavirus has caused a great deal of uncertainty. Now about the first point. The fact that the coronavirus outbreak occurred in China was one thing. But before long, people were getting sick and dying in places all over the world. Who would have expected that an invisible enemy was waiting to infect people with a deadly disease? And Australia, of course, has had quite a fortunate outcome compared to many other countries, where so many people have died that mortuaries and hospitals have not had room to care for both the sick and the dead. Who would have thought that trucks would have to be rented in England to store the dead bodies? As with Christ's return, most people will not be prepared, just as most people are not prepared for when a thief comes to steal their stuff. On the other hand, how could people prepare for the sudden arrival of the coronavirus? According to the information I have read, one main way to be prepared is to be in good health with a well-functioning immune system. The way to that is mainly through proper diet and sufficient exercise. Although other factors, such as getting enough water, sunlight, and avoiding drugs and stimulants such as alcohol and smoking, are also involved. In that, there are both positive and negative factors. One thing that's really surprised me in the COVID-19 outbreak is what happened in the USA with so many sick and dead. It's well known that the majority of Americans, it's about 70%, are overweight or grossly overweight. And of course, that means obese. Why? Why are there so many overweight there? Well, there are probably a number of reasons, but from my experiences in America, I think I've been there about six times. Generally, people eat far too much animal-based foods and have a high intake of sugar in sweet foods and drinks and eat too much junk foods, 
rich in saturated animal fats and poor in essential vitamins and minerals. As a result of being too fat, many people find it difficult to exercise, so they don't. It is no wonder their immune systems are not in a good shape. In short, there is an overconsumption of what is bad for them and too much little of what is good for them. In the spiritual application, most of society is unprepared for Christ's coming because there is an overconsumption of sport, entertainment, self-gratification, the quest for wealth and an easy life. On the underconsumption side, few people know what the Word of God says and most of them will not be prepared for Christ's return. It will be, as Jesus explained in Matthew 24, verse 36, they will be eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage without realising what a worldwide tumultuous event is to occur. Many people who get sick look to getting a quick fix via medications to make them better again. But a far more effective way to be prepared for such an outbreak as COVID-19 is to live a lifestyle where one remains in good health. Such also applies to the return of Jesus. Be ready and stay ready. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. living sermon for thee Some people would rather see than hear one With a smile on my face and my place in the sun Doing the things in this world you want done Seven days of the week let my every action speak Louder than anything I could say With God as my guide And my eyes to the sky Lord, let me be A living sermon for Thee Let me be an instrument of peace Sharing your love with others And where there is strife Lord, use my life Grant me your wisdom To know how to help my brothers Not for worldly acclaim Personal gain Just for the peace You've given For those who would be greatest Are those 
we come to the second of those four points I listed earlier, and that is that the coronavirus came quickly. Now I recognise that human to human disease can be transmitted from place to place quickly because of fast air travel. For example, you can leave from somewhere in Asia in the morning and be back in Australia the next evening. A carrier of disease like COVID-19 may transmit infection to many others on a flight or if on a cruise ship, which is also a closed environment without even knowing it. When Jesus comes again, he will come quickly. Twice in the very last chapter of the Bible, he announced that fact. Revelation 22.7 says, Behold, this is Jesus speaking, I come quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And in verse 12, he says this, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. If Jesus is coming unexpectedly and very quickly, is it fair that suddenly he will arrive by people, and sorry, that he will arrive and people will be taken by surprise? No, of course not. But the point is, we have been informed. Amos 3 verse 7 points out that surely the Lord God will do nothing but reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. God cannot be blamed if people are not ready for Christ's coming. If they've chosen to reject God's word, the blame is fairly and squarely on their shoulders. The third similarities between what happened with COVID-19 and the second coming of Christ is the worldwide ramifications. With COVID-19, shutdowns, social distancing, border closures, business closures, loss of jobs, uh, has been right across the whole world. Prior to Christ's coming, there will be widespread signs. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 28, gives a summary of this where it says there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity 
at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint with from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Coupled with that, there will be a great earthquake described in Revelation 16:18. Here the Bible points out, Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. Revelation chapter 6 verse 16 adds more inf information about how the wicked will want to hide from Jesus as he returns and hide amongst the rocks in the mountains with a death wish, crying out to the rocks and mountains to fall on them. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 8 to 11 speaks about the destruction of the wicked by the brightness of Christ's coming and adds, They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Well, there's not enough time today to give all the Bible verses about the effects of Christ's coming, so I'll summarise. All those people who have not accepted Christ's precious sacrifice will be destroyed. The earth will be in utter shambles because of the tremendous earthquake. God's people will be taken in person by Jesus to heaven. Now this subject is a big one, and I intend to do a program on it again fairly soon. After Jesus comes, the worldwide ramifications will be much more significant than with corona. There will be no one left alive on the planet. But anyhow, let's move to the fourth point. The fourth similarity between what happens with COVID-19 and the second coming of Jesus is uncertainty. As we, under social restriction laws, have been subjected to taking precautions about limiting social contact, and as well through hearing many news bulletins about outbreaks, there have been underlining questions like, if I go here or there, might I inhale some infected air that will cause me to become COVID-19 positive? If I touch something that an infected person has touched, could the virus be transmitted to me? You know, doubt and uncertainty are uppermost in many people's minds at such a time. Whether one is rich or poor makes no difference. Coronavirus is no respecter of persons. The same applies to the second coming of Jesus. If you are wicked, whether rich or poor, coloured or white, male or female, makes absolutely no difference. If you belong to the Lord, you'll be saved. That is God's promise. 
And I'll just remind you of John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you continue to live in such a way that you do not care about the things of God, you'll be destroyed. God cannot and will not continue to allow sin and sinners to exist infinitely in his otherwise unspoilt universe. There are only two alternatives, and the consequence that will affect you will depend on your personal decision. You may choose life or death. There's nothing in between. First John is a book of the Bible you should read and read and read again. Perhaps it would be good for you to memorize the whole book. In chapter 5 from verses 10 to 13 are these precious words. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God, sorry, the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us believers eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now we started about thieves. Thieves, of course, are everywhere, and they are all too willing to steal anything of value. But the thing of the greatest value is not just your life, but the promised gift of eternal life. That is worth much more than anything else. And don't let you, let anyone steal that from you.